losses are just adding up. The Wizards just lost to the Hawks. 137-129 in D.C. 137 points allowed at home to the Hawks. Not great. Uh, 40 in the fourth quarter. 40 in the fourth quarter. It was final fourth quarter score was 40 to 38. What a stupid ending to a really weird game where the Wizards fell down by 19 and cut it to three and down by whatever it was, 15, 17, and cut it back to close and just could never get all the way there. The, the 96 bulls of garbage time could never do it. I'm Fred Katz. <laughs> I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. And today I'm here in Capital One Arena with Jace Hughes from NBC Sports Washington. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, man. I think this is my third episode this season, and uh, this is probably the worst game that I've been on to discuss. Yeah, this was, man, there was that little kid who was <laughs> so angry. The angriest little kid was sitting next to us during the game, and uh, I think he personified all Wizards fans. He was screaming at them <laughs> all game, just screaming at everybody. And, like, yeah, I guess I guess there's a reason why he was so angry. Because, like, at one point, the kid was screaming, is this the Cleveland game all over again? Right. Is this the Cle-? Totally on original heckles, by the way. My favorite uh, heckle of his was, come on, Otto, shoot like you do in 2K. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, Otto shoots, like, 45% from three, usually by the end of the season. So his 2K rating is probably from three is probably, like, 95, right? Yeah. You know, it just, like, doesn't account for volume. And he just hasn't been shooting well lately. I thought your question to Scott Brooks was good. Like, you know, are you okay with the fadeaways? I wonder, like, I know it's the left big toe, but, like, does that affect his shooting? Because yeah, his, shot, his shot is just off. That's a great point. He is playing with he's playing with that left big toe injury. And who knows how much that's bothered him throughout the season. Because he had that injury in November, missed time, came back, and then had another left big toe injury. And we've never really gotten a conclusive answer on whether those two things are related or not related or if it's random or what. But, yeah, he's – I don't know. You've covered Otto for longer than I have. I obviously watched the Wizards a lot and watched Otto a lot because he's been in the league for a long time. He's always been a guy who fades away when he shoots off the dribble. He's always kind of had a little bit of a off-balance fade away when he shoots spotting up. Mm-hmm. He's not like perfectly up and down. He's not JJ Redick when it comes to that type of shooting. But it just based purely on just like eye test feel, which could be totally wrong. But like it just feels like he is fading away more on his shot now. It really does, right? And one thing I would say about the left toe sprain is that he, like a lot of shooters, has to get a lot of lift from his legs, and he likes to release at the highest point. He's got a very high release point. So maybe that's being affected by it. But absolutely, he has kind of a slight fade, and it kind of uh, depends on which range he's shooting, how much it's noticeable. But even from threes, I think he slightly fades away. It's almost like his, his body kind of like cocks back. I, I've always thought his release, not the form, but the release and the way he kind of fades back, and it's a high release, reminds me of kind of like how Dirk shoots the ball or Paul Pierce kind of has used to have a shot like that. And that's why I, I've always thought that, the way they've been able to kind of hesitate on the way up and get got, like later in their careers, they were e- either able to to pull up very quickly off off the right-handed dribble, or just kind of get into this like hesitation combination where they could just because they have such a high release point, like get a guy slightly off balance and then fire it away. I've always thought that like that's gonna at some point be part of his game, but absolutely he fades away a little bit and maybe the left toe sprain like throws it off a little bit, you know? Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Uh, weird that we started opened up talking about Otto's toe when there were 
We should say he went over four from three tonight. <laughs> yeah. And also three for six from the free throw line, including uh, missed three big free throws quarter. all in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Two consecutive ones where they went to the line. They were down one ten one oh four, I think it was, and he missed two straight free throws there. With the really in the closing few minutes of the we game, we got here because of heckles. By the way, that's how it we got here because of heckles. Uh, <laughs> and part of the reason the heckles were coming was because this defense. So, like over the last month, coming into tonight, over the last month, from like January 9th, so a little bit less than a month, the Wizards were sixth in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Like they've been defending well. They've been defending okay. They've had some bad games. They were. Bad in the Cleveland game. They were bad in the Bucks game, but the Bucks offense is really, really good. And like, they have had enough games where they've been good enough to where basically over the last month and a half, if you have any start point, they've been either top ten or fringe top ten, always in the top half of the league from that date until today. And the last couple of games, they were not good in the Bucks game, but it's like, you know what? It's okay. The Bucks are really, really good. The last few games, whether it's the Cleveland game, whatever. Who they played before Cleveland they lost to again? Uh, that's a good question. We're that's supposed to know this. We do. Yeah, they've lost game. four of five. Uh, they lost to San Antonio in San Antonio. There we go. Terrible defensive game in San Antonio. Yeah. Which has a good offense, but a terrible defensive game against San Antonio. Uh, the defense has just not been that good. Bertans crushed them. Bertans. Crushed them. NBA leader in three point percentage. But they they were just not good, especially with so they uh, Scott Brooks talked about this a little bit after the game. They clearly wanted to switch everything against Atlanta, and they just struggled to do that so much when they had a conventional big on the floor. And to me, the big thing from this game, no pun intended, was Thomas Bryant and Jan Mahimi, so a conventional center on the floor for 20 minutes of this game. And in those 20 minutes, they were a minus 30. And in the other 28 minutes of the game, they were plus 22. And that's with, like, Jeff Green, Otto Porter, those guys playing the five, the unconventional centers playing the center spot. And, like, that's when they were better. And I think in part because on defense, they were just more able to switch everything and they could more easily execute that. Like, they just were really bad when Bryant and when Mahimi were on the floor. And I thought Bryant tonight especially just was not there defensively. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the biggest reason why the Wizards have, at this point, they're 500, I think, since John Wall went out. So it's not like they've thrived. And I think the biggest reason why they have been playing better than they were mostly before that is because they've been better defensively. They still can't rebound. Their three-point shot still comes and goes. But they've been better defensively, and I think a big reason why is because they've been a little bit better at defending the three. Like, over the course of the season, they're one of the worst teams at defending the three. Um, they're allowing, I think it's still like 39% on the year. But in the last month or so, they've allowed some, it's been about average to slightly above average, the, like the percentage and the amount of threes that they're allowing per game. But lately in recent games, that's completely gone out of the window. Uh, the Bucks, I think, shot like 47% from three, right? Obviously, they're very good at shooting threes. Overnight, they became the best, maybe the best three-point shooting team, or one of the best. I think they're third in three-point makes. And then the Hawks tonight made 23s. They shot 49%. Like, you and I were in Houston when the Houston Rockets set the NBA record for threes in a game against the Wizards. Wasn't it 26? Yeah. So the Hawks had 23s tonight. They had 23s. They shot 41. Kevin Hurd, yeah, and they shot 49%. 
Kevin Herter went five for seven. Torian Prince went five for seven and made some like miracle shots. <laughs> Omari Spellman went four for six, and Vince Carter, who apparently only played because John Collins had suffered a facial laceration and didn't play in the second half. By the way, he had, I think it was 16 and 11, 15 and 11 in 16 minutes. He's amazing. He only played because of him. And Vince Carter, did you look at his age? Is he 41? He's 41, yeah. He came in, and it was just like microwave offense. Like, what did he, he he finished with 15 minutes and had 16 points and shot six for eight and four for six from three. So, you know, Scott Brooks had a theory that he kind of shared about three-point defense tonight was that they were super lazy early on in the game. The Hawks caught a rhythm, like, collectively, and then by the time they did close out on threes, they just were too hot. They could, there's nothing they could do about it. And that sounds kind of like a coach, like an old-school coach, like by-the-gut, like, observation. But I think there might be something to that because some of the threes that they made in the fourth quarter, I saw Wizards players just throw their hands up, and I couldn't blame them. Like, it was, like, good defense. Torian Prince just banked one in, like, at the, like late in the shot clock, right? It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, the Wizards gave up 23s to the Hawks. But, like, really they gave up 19. Because that <laughs> Torian Prince three at the end of the game should not count. Right. Like, that should not count. The Vince Carter thing was amazing because Vince Carter came in and was legitimately chucking up threes within split seconds of touching the ball. Like, that was... I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> Why is he so anxious to shoot? It was I think, after not playing the first half. I think his first one was kind of like a broken play, like it got deflected or something, and he basically, like, scooped it off the ground and just, like, instantly knocked down a three. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the three-point defense is, like, a major problem. Giving up 41 threes, I think, is really the bigger problem. Part of that is because they just – this was happening a lot. This was happening against the Bucks too. They're not containing the ball. So Milwaukee is going to kill you when you don't contain the ball because they are so good at once they get numbers, they are going to find somebody for an open spot of three. They're just going to. Like that is what the Bucks do. They are amazing at it. They are literally the best in the NBA at doing that. And tonight we saw that, like, the Hawks are going to do that too. Like, NBA teams are really good. And if you don't contain the ball, you're going to get you're gonna get screwed. Like, you guys, with teams especially that look for the three, look for spot-out threes, they're going to get those spot-out threes. Trey Young is developing, and his shot's not there yet. And he's got this reputation for being an unbelievable shooter. But I think he's a better passer than he is a shooter. He's a great, great passer. Like, if, he's, if you let him break you down off the dribble, he's going to find dudes. And he did. Like, other Hawks players are going to find dudes. And, like, it just doesn't look pretty when the, when the you know, when Thomas Bryan is on the floor and guys are still getting by him and the rim protection is not there. And when Yamahimi is, you know, still not deterring guys and they're still not communicating great or they're botching switches or whatever it is. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of their many problems tonight. I wonder now, like, they're nine games under 500. They're tied with Orlando. If you're a glass-half-full person, they're tied for 10th. If you're a glass-half-empty person, they're tied for 11th. They're four back in the loss column of the number eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Like, I wonder. They got Milwaukee at Milwaukee on Wednesday. They're going to be in all likelihood, 10 games under 500 going into the trade deadline, which is not what they wanted. In the last week, they lost to Cleveland, they lost to Atlanta. I just wonder what is going to 
how this is going to affect their approach come Thursday's deadline. Like, I think the perception has absolutely changed. I don't know if it's going to change their plans because I still think, I mean, the owner, Ted Leonsis, has literally come out and said it in no uncertain terms that the goal is to make the playoffs. So you're not going to trade Jeff Green or, or Trevor Ariza if that's what you want to do. I bet what they'll do is they'll look at Markeith Morris as like a trade deadline acquisition. If Artie Grunfeld talked, which he doesn't in the middle of the season, that's probably how he would spin it. That's how every GM I've ever covered spins guys who are coming back from injury around the trade deadline, right? Oh, that's our trade deadline mm-hmm. addition. Markeith Morris isn't going to help with three-point defense, though. Like, he's probably going to help your, your bench become a little bit better offensively. You know, um, I don't know who he's going to take minutes away from. I guess, you know, Sam Decker, maybe... Jan Mahimi, I think Jeff Green is pretty stable in, in his role at this point. Jan Mahimi obviously only gets minutes here and there, and, and tonight Sam Decker didn't play very much. But I, I've, these last five games, losing four of five, make me wonder, like, the shine's really wearing off since they started playing well once John Wall went out. Like, do they have enough to make the playoffs? And, like, I think no one would argue that it'd be a smart thing to try to actually be buyers at the deadline, really in any sense. Like, maybe you can sign someone after that, but... I think it's decision time, and I feel like I know what they're going to do, but you have to at least consider selling off some pieces because it's not looking good. Like, yes, maybe you could make the playoffs, but right now, as of today, I'm not all that confident that they can because they've been playing so poorly these last few games. Yeah, see, Leonsis comes out and he makes the comments to us in London about how they'll never, ever tank. He makes those other comments on a radio show appearance less than a week ago about how they're not going to trade Wall, Beal, Porter. You talk to people around the organization, and all of it is, by all accounts, confirmed. That's the approach that they're taking. That being said, I just wonder, because you also talk to people around the organization, and you get the impression that they really thought they didn't necessarily turn the corner, but like they turned a corner, like like a less specific, less inspiring corner. Like maybe they just... Like, maybe the corner is only, like, a, it's not a 90-degree angle. It's, like, a 45-degree angle. That's, <laughs> that's the one they turned, you know? And I bet you a week ago, if you asked them to go through the schedule, which, you know, instead of, let's assume they're 22 and 32 after the Bucks loss, at the deadline, instead of 20, are you going to be 22 and 32? Their answer would be no. They would have penciled in a win for Cleveland, and a, or a win against Cleveland, and a win against the Hawks. And even though it's two games, like 24 and 30 with how close they are to eight and how close to all those teams are, 22, 22 and 32 is a big difference from 24 and 30. I mean, it's not just about the number of games you're back. It's also about the teams you have to leap over. And now they're behind Detroit. They're not tied with Orlando. you got to leap over a certain number of teams too. And... I'm not. I, I don't know the answer to this in full. I don't think it's like all of a sudden going to be like, okay, now you trade Porter. Like, I don't think that's what it's going to be. That's not my implication. But like, in terms of a financial approach to the deadline, if you're one game back of eight and beating the teams you're supposed to beat, and you have that win over Indiana, I think it's a lot easier to sell to an owner being five million dollars, five plus million dollars over the luxury tax than it is in this situation. You know. Yeah, right? Our last I checked was like two days ago. The threshold uh, as far as the teams, what they're on pace for to get that eight spot would be about 38, 39 wins. So I think at this point you're looking at going 16 and 12 or better to finish the season. That's obviously better than they played at any 28-game stretch this season. So that's 
that's not going to be easy. But what I will say, and I, and I know this is has to be entering their thinking, as you look past the deadline, the schedule does kind of ease up a little bit. I mean, I've seen, you know, you look at it, it's like Detroit and Chicago and some teams like that. So it's not that they've been playing that tough of a schedule in these recent games, but, you know, maybe they look ahead and see some, some winnable games. Um, I don't know. I, I think the more and more I think about it, I think they should at least trade a, a Jeff Green or something like that, but I really don't think they will. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right in that. Like, they want to make the playoffs. They want to make the playoffs. I just... I'm not as 100% as short in that statement today as I was 48 hours ago. And we're both going to be having conversations with people over the next 72 hours and seeing what's going on and seeing what's happening around the league and all that. But it's just... I do think it's more of a fluid situation than it's been made out to be. Like, there are ways that you can go for the playoffs and also try to avoid the tax or at least cut into your tax dollars. Like, it's not necessarily either or. It's not like it doesn't have to be Jeff Green and Trevor Ariza. It could be Sam Decker. Well, Jeff Green doesn't save you any money. Yeah. I mean, unless you, you trade him into a trade exception. You can trade Jeff Green into a trade exception. Yeah. Take back a draft, you know, a second-round pick or something. Mm-hmm. But, like, I do wonder, like, if they're one game back, maybe it makes a difference on how they approach Sam Decker. Because they did get Sam Decker on December 6th for a reason. You know, that's that's exactly two months and one day before the trade deadline so they can aggregate him. They rushed to get that deal done by the end of December 6th. Not just them, everybody in that deal. So that those players would be aggregatable come the uh, you know February 7th trade deadline because you can only trade a guy, as you know, you can only trade a guy, you, it takes two months after acquiring a guy via trade that you can include him with other players in a trade as opposed to just trading him individually. So immediately upon acquiring Sam Decker, that's a guy they had in mind, you know, as like a possible trade piece. And, you know, with the guys at the edge of the roster, not necessarily the starters and everyday contributors, the guys at the edge well, of the roster are going to the effect. I, I think that's possible, but the one thing I would say about Sam Decker is he's restricted after this year, right? Yes. Pretty sure he's restricted. So, like, if you have a guy who's cheap and restricted, given their luxury tax situation, like, that's kind of valuable because you you know you can, like, carve out a roster spot. Because we all know what the situation is. The very few guys that they have with roster spots next year, like, it's going to be tough to fill out the roster if they actually want to, like Ted Leonsa said, not throw in the towel on this core, which by that he means John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter. If those three guys are back, you know, maybe you could stretch you on Mahimi, but... It's tough to, like, come up with, like, how they're going to figure out even 12 guys, much less 14, to get to the minimum. Yep, that's true. That's a great point. That is definitely a very good point. Uh, should we talk about Jordan McRae a little bit? Yes. We... Jordan McRae, 26 minutes for Jordan <laughs> McRae. This is the same amount he played in the Indiana game. Jordan McRae was a plus 22 in a game that they lost by 8 and uh, had 20 points on 8 of 11 shooting in 26 minutes. Also, let's see, 8 of 11 from the field, 2 for 3 from 3, 2 for 3 from the line. He had five boards. He definitely had some moments where, like, 41-year-old Vince Carter was backing him down and he was getting all schooled, and that's the weakness of his game. But he was really good slashing, really good getting. One thing that's just really cool about his game, his game's a little old school in that almost every time nowadays you see a guy get a swing pass, or a kick out, and they're open at the three-point line, that three is going up automatically. Almost every time, 
and he catches the ball with a step in and just goes straight to the hoop. And I asked him about that the other after the game, and he said, to paraphrase, like, you know, like something's going right if you're going to the hoop. Like, make sure then that clearly is how he wants to make sure he directs his game. And I just I, I like that about his game. I I enjoy watching how he how controlled his uh, his game is in that sense. You know, he's very smooth. He's very skilled uh, around the rim. And I remember when. They first signed him. I looked back at uh, the combine because he's he's what like 26 at this point. 26, 27. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's been a while. Like he's won a ring. He's been in Europe. He's had that shoulder surgery. I think it was like he's been around. So I went back and it, it was like one of the first years that you can go back to on NBA.com and look at their combine measurements. He's got like a really big wingspan. It's like seven two or something like that for a guy who is listed like six six, and you can see it. Like he, it's not like I think it doesn't really. Um, help him as much on defense as, like, you would think it would. Like, that's how probably his best bet at being a good defender is with deflections. But, like, around the rim, he's just, like, all arms. And he can, like, finish, like, from distances that guys his size usually can't. So I've, I've like, really enjoyed watching Jordan McCray play basketball, especially these last few games where we've gotten to see an extended look from him. And I think the difference I've seen in these recent games, like, we saw it in Cleveland, but that was in garbage time against reserves. Then he gets the opportunity in the ensuing games, and I saw a guy who was a little passive and timid, like trying to just blend in and make the, the pass, and just get the ball and pass it. Now he's looking to get to the rim, and like we're seeing how dangerous he can be when he's slashing because he's got a very quick first step. He's very decisive, like you said, on catch and goes, and he can finish around the rim, like in traffic, like not necessarily like above the rim, but like around the rim with like his long arms and like. He just got good touch around the rim. I, I think he's a guy that it's. I know he went in today mainly because Bradley Beal got into foul trouble, but the spark that he provided, like I could have seen Scott Brooks looking for that, whether Beal got into foul trouble or not, because I think he can provide scoring off the bench in the NBA. Yeah, I, I think that's showing right now because he's ever since that Cleveland game, he's been pretty good. Like he's doing a pretty good job, and like. It means something. I mean, one thing to look out for is he's at 30, at least 31 days, 31, 32 days with them. As of I checked last week, and he was at 29. So he's at 31, 32 days with them. He only gets up to 45. One thing to note, it's not 45 till the end of the year. It's only 45 until because he's on a two-way deal. It's only 45 days with the NBA squad until March 23rd because that's the last day of the G League season. So... They've got a little bit more time to where they can keep him up. But, like, if he keeps playing like this, they're going to have to keep him on the roster. And it's going to push them close to 45 days. And they might have to confer Jordan McRae's deal. And considering they've got John Jenkins as their 14th guy on a 10-day and they can decide to have a 15th guy at the end of the year if they want, like, this is doable if they want it to be doable. Uh, I'm just – it's an intriguing – thing to see how the Wizards are going to handle this situation because he's playing well and he's turning himself into an actual contributor on the NBA roster. They have the all-star break working in their favor uh, and I bet they don't get to 45. I, like, I, I bet they figure out a way to make it so that they don't have to get to 45 because so, he's you know, a cheap asset if he's on that two-way deal. Mm-hmm. One, thing, one thing to remember though, if he's actually a contributor and if they do make it into the playoffs... You can't have a two-way guy on your playoff roster. So they would have to convert him. Or if their goal truly was just make the playoffs, we don't actually care about winning once we get there. (laughs) 
and we want to save money, they could just not convert him. Uh, but they need to have a 14th guy anyway. It's not like there's a difference between having a 14th and a 15th guy. He could just be their 14th guy. Like, that could just be it, and they go into the playoffs with 14th, 14 people if they make it there, and he's one of them. But that's, you know, that's a thing to know, too, because if he's in the rotation, and, you know, they'll have to convert him at some point if they end up being a playoff team. Obviously, very early to be thinking, oh, that they have to convert a guy. But, like, if he plays like he did tonight, man, it, it could definitely be a situation where they would have every, every reason to want to convert him because, like, the guy is not just your average, like, 20-year-old who, you know, just missed the second round or was picked in the second round and was signed as a two-way deal. Like, this guy has in, in a relatively proven NBA skill set, and we're seeing it in recent games. It took long enough. <laughs> Goodness, what was the I point know. of Jordan McRae being on your roster for four months if you weren't going to give him a shot? Like, you're not developing him. He's 27 years old. Like, right. Took long what enough. Else, what else does he have to show in the G League? Yeah. At least it's happening. Who would have thought the guy who leads the G League in scoring can score? <laughs> um, anything else before we go? No. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, as always. Uh, plug plug your stuff for my listeners before uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, uh, NBC Sports Washington and at Chase Hughes NBCS on Twitter. Appreciate it. Awesome. And uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. Leave a review. Give us five stars. Write in there how much you love the podcast. That's always super cool when people do that. I'll be back on Wednesday. I think I'm just going to do a solo podcast on Wednesday. I'm going to take some Twitter questions and probably talk about the deadline a little bit because it's the last question or the last uh, podcast before we get to the trade deadline. And I don't know, maybe I'll do a podcast on If something really, really big goes down on Thursday, maybe I'll do a podcast on Thursday. I don't expect anything really, really big to go down on Thursday. So in that case, I will be back after that one on Friday night after their game. But I will be back on Wednesday after the Milwaukee game, answering Twitter questions, all that stuff. I'll talk to you guys then.